So God, we just thank you for who you are. God, we just thank you for the way that you move in our lives. And God, I just thank you for the way that you move in Sean's life. I thank you for the gift that you've given him of teaching. I thank you that he has a way of describing the word like no other person I've ever heard before. And so, Lord God, I just pray for tonight, Lord God, that his words would be words from your mouth, Lord God, that he would just pierce our hearts with the things that you have to say through him. Lord God, I just thank you for uh, this word you've put on his heart, and I just pray an anointing and a blessing over him tonight. Um, I just cast all his fears and anxieties to you, Lord God, and I just trust that um, you're going to deliver a great message, Lord God, and we just thank you and we love you, and I thank you for my husband and the way that he loves you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Sweet. I'm glad to be here. Um, man, this sounds really loud. Uh, I didn't say, I didn't call it a preachimony, I called it a test message, but that's a cooler <laughs> word. Um, but essentially what it was is, um, you know, I've been going through a lot, um, and he said, can you give your testimony? And so I started writing it out, and I realized like seven minutes would not do justice, kind of the revelations I've had. And, and you know, when I have some sort of revelation, it, it can't just be like some random truth because I won't believe it. So it has to be rooted in some sub-level of the word. So if I was just to share my thoughts and feelings, you wouldn't get as much out of it as if I just kind of shared everything God's been showing me. Um, and so I like to think about, um, and I, I realize I do this a lot, but I like to think about what early church was like. You know, like apostles plus like two generations. And I don't think it was a whole bunch of three-point sermons anyway. I think it was people who would just get together and say, man, I learned this about this. To, uh, God showed me this, and I'm having this revelation. Yeah. And it was just people getting together and sharing like the goodness of God and the breakthroughs and the challenges and the miracles and all the great things he's doing. And so tonight, um, I like to think of myself as doing that, just sitting down and, or not sitting down because they won't let me have a chair, but, <laughs> and I totally would sit in a chair. Um, but just, and sharing what's going on. So Lately, I've been crippled um, with shame. And it's just like this ridiculous heaviness that close friends could tell. People who are kind of afar off really had no idea because I brushed my teeth and grin. But um, in reality, there's, a, there's been a lot going on. And so um, I don't know, let me just jump into it. Um, so I've realized there's, there's two ways, there are two main uh, voices that I hear on a weekly basis. And, and, and one brings conviction and the other brings accusation. Um, and I feel like when I'm not doing something I should be doing, um, that I hear this word, son. And, and it usually will be, son, you don't need to do this. Son, you're not going to find your peace doing that. You're, you're, everything you're searching for is in me. And then the other voice that I hear quite often is, it usually begins with the word, you. And it'll go, you um, are useless. It, it usually is you have or have become the very thing you didn't want to be. You, and it was very accusing. And so um, I just wanted to use that as a preface for what I'm going to talk about, which is kind of how, um, how I've been just walking through these things. Um, and and I, so I, I said that lately my struggles have been shame. Um, but it's not been the shame of the things I've been doing, right? You, everybody knows the awful weekend, uh, the bad choices, the jumping into things in bed that you should never have done before you got married, the late nights looking at things on the internet that just make you feel like utter trash. Um, 
I haven't been struggling with that shame. And so when they talk about shame in Epic Life, I think, oh, no, I'm good. Um, and I've realized that there's a, a, an insidious, like, hidden shame that a lot of us suffer for, from. Me, especially, is um, the shame of things not done. Um, and and I'll, let me give you an example. Um, if you look at my work life, I work a fairly nerdy job, nine hours, eight to nine hours, depending on how studious I feel. Um, and, uh, and so I'll write these bits of code, and it'll take something like three hours to run. Uh, and assuming I did the code right, um, my computer just locks up entirely, and the only thing that I can use on there is the internet, which is sweet. Um, and so what I'll do is I, I, can, I, I have a special uh, spiritual gift where I could literally Google things forever. Like, I, I, if you ask me right now, like, <laughs> write out a list of 24 hours worth of questions that you have that you can answer with Google, I'll be just, just questions. I mean, I know how to change the spark plugs of a motorcycle I will never own because my wife hides motorcycles. I know what differential oil I need for this car that I probably won't change the differential oil for years. I just, I like to, I have a question as I go on, I try to figure it out. So, um, I'll spend three hours looking up these stupid questions and I feel like I know a ton. Um, but then one day at the end of my work day, uh, I heard this voice that said, you um, live as if God doesn't exist. Because I really had spent my day, um, I got up, listened to the news, did my work, Googled a ton of crap, uh, <laughs> learned a bunch of stuff that I'll never need, um, went to bed, woke up the next day, did the same thing. I'm still like playing golf and having a great time outside of work, but I'm not studying the Bible and I'm not doing some of the things that um, I have done in the past. But this voice was, it sounded so true. You live as if God doesn't exist. And so the next day, uh, and I go, no, 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 like I'm a Christian, I, I love Christ, regardless of the things I do on a daily basis, I'm, I'm still that. So the next day, um, I go into work and I do the same thing and this, the voice says the same thing. You, um, you don't even love God. Like, you don't pursue him. And then he, it says, doesn't the word say in Jeremiah um, that the, God said, if you will search for me, then you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And then he says, well, uh, you're clearly not searching him with all your heart, so why would you expect to find him? Like, you're just wasting your time. And, and it was these, this like onslaught of negativity and lies that, began to build this shame in my life. Um, and, and I began to believe it. And so I'm, you know, my, I'd come to Epic Life and my worship would be um, kind of the same thing, Swiss cheese full of holes. I wouldn't be able to uh, press in because uh, the voice, I would hear, um, you know, you haven't worshiped him for even an hour this week. Uh, so worshiping him in front of all these people is nothing short of hypocrisy. Why would you even do that? And I, I thought, yeah, that's true. I haven't, well, this week I'll do better. And, uh, and I didn't really enter in. Um, same thing, I'm, I'm, I, they call the prayer team. And, uh, and I've been here forever, so I'm like, all right. And I used to go up quite often, and, and I would, you know, pray with people. And, and then one day, uh, you know, I felt the enemy say, you know, there are all these amazing men and women who hear with absolute clarity the voice of God, um, and they have a prophetic gift, right? And, and I've always loved prophetic gifts because it really, like, it builds people up, and my gift is more, like, teaching and, and 
thinking and, and just stewarding revelation. And so I didn't think like I had any place doing those things. So I just gradually stopped coming up for uh, prayer. And I became this like less outgoing shadow of Sean. And, uh, and, and you know, my close, close friends could kind of tell that I was drawing back, but for the most part, like no one knew. Um, and what you find when, when you allow these things in your life is that lies gain momentum, right? You believe one, and then uh, you believe another one. And, and for me, I'm intensely logical. So when I believe a lie, then the enemy can say, well, if this is true, then this is true. And I go, well, yeah, that follows. And, and weeks and weeks later, like, I am absolutely just covered in a fog of the enemy's lies. And, and I don't even, once you get that far down a path of negativity and just um, agreeing with the enemy, you don't even know where to begin because you don't know, well, what was the base lie? What was the root lie? Where did this come from? And so in the midst of all this, I've been reading, uh, and don't worry, it gets happier. Uh, so obviously, uh, I got breakthrough. But um, in the midst of all these, these kind of uh, swirling thoughts, um, I still go, okay, well, I'm supposed to read the Bible. So, and I tend to read one chapter for like months because that's how I get stuff out of the Bible. And so I was reading Romans 6, 7, and 8, like over and over and over again. Uh, also because it was relating to uh, some of the lies and I realized that the truth was within those verses, but I wasn't sure where. Um, and so if you read chapter 6, it talks in, in, is it already up there? No, Good. If you read chapter six, it's all of this, like you had, Paul says in so many different ways, dead to sin. And, um, and I found that really interesting because as a Christian, nine days out of 10, I f- feel dead to sin. And then on that one out of 10 day, I feel decidedly undead to sin. And I, I was having a difficult time reconciling my feelings with God's truth. Um, but it's actually chapter seven that really intrigues me. And I feel like uh, is applicable to my life. And so um, somebody's going to put it up there from what I know. Derek. All right. Um, and so I'm going to read it out. And, and really, this is something that almost every Christian in some part of their life can relate to. Uh, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I am not practicing, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do Uh, the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but it is sin within me, sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for the willing is present within me, but the doing of the good is not. For, For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. For, and it's really a lot of words. Uh, But if I am not doing the very thing I do not want, and it has meaning later, um, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find that then that the principle that is evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law, uh, with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Oh, I got cotton mouth. And within this, um, I was reading this one day and God, uh, you know, highlighted it a lot like that. 
And he said, look at the, all the I statements. And uh, it, was, it would have been cooler if they weren't there and then they highlighted them afterwards, but I didn't tell him that. Um, but he said, look at all the I statements. And I said, yeah, that's true. And he said, do you think there's any other place in the Bible where this many I statements? I'm like, well, I'm not looking it up, but I assume probably not. And, um, and if you actually highlight the my's and the me's, it gets even more overwhelming. But essentially, it's very, very inward focused. Um, and really, there are, there's the two types of shame, right? I underline the first one, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. That was the shame that I was undergoing. Um, but the verse 19, for the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. That's, another, that's the other shame that most people uh, go through, right? The things that I, I practice the very thing I know is wrong. Like I, I get up in the morning and then I do the same stupid sin. Um, and so we talk all the time about uh, striving in, uh, in Epic. And quite often, uh, we rebuke it and we um, break it off and we you know, want to get past it, but I think it's necessary to actually kind of dwell on what all these things mean. Um, what does striving mean? I Google it, Siri said, making great effort to achieve or obtain something. Um, so keep that in mind, making great effort to achieve or obtain something, per Siri. Um, and then what was the law? Um, when we talk about the law, in this verse and in, for most of the Bible, it's referring to, um, it's the covenant of God contained in the Ten Commandments. And it was a pathway to pleasing God. It was a way of righteous living. But there's a newsflash for New Testament Christians, right? We are righteous. Um, Jesus did what he did, and God is absolutely pleased. Um, the Bible actually says before this, uh, Romans 7, 4, which I didn't give to him because it's just a short verse, but it says uh, that we've been freed from the law. Um, and think of the law as... Uh, striving. We've, we've been freed from the law in order to bear fruit to God. And it's just one of those, you know, it's, been, it's for freedom that you have been made free. And, and quite often in our lives, in my life, I found that um, over time I tend to gravitate towards trying to earn things that have no business being earned. Um, if you look back at Exodus 19, we were talking about this in men's Bible study. If um, it says, and this is uh, God speaking to the Israelites, and he says, if you follow my covenant, which is the law, um, you will be my own special people. And the way that he describes my own special people is this like, it's very difficult to place unless you read it over and over, but it's very like um, lovely. You know, it says, you're going to be my own special people. You will be my treasure. And in Isaiah, he says, you are a royal diadem, like this, this absolute beauty. This is this thing I delight in. So when he says, you will be my own special people, it's like, it, it had such a great connotation. Um, but it, again, in Exodus, it says, if you follow the law, if, you, if, you, if your life stacks up, then you will be my special people. Um, but if you read First Peter 2, which is what we were reading, um, it says, you are God's special people. And it has nothing to do with the covenant, the law, or anything. It's just, it's a fact. And, um, and so for my life, uh, I know all these verses. And so uh, Satan's best plan of attack in my life is to get me back to try and earn all the things that are already mine. We are, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I am counted as righteousness. My citizenship is in heaven. We have identity. I can go on and on and on. You know, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Mind of Christ. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. These are all truths that we hear all the time. But Satan wants to get us back into this place where we're earning them. And Galatians is one of those books that I have also been reading a lot because it's actually written to a bunch of uh, people who are struggling with uh, being religious. And so it says, uh, his charge at the end is, you, become ex- ex- you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. And that's really an excellent picture of what my life's been like for the longest time. You, you know, the Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Well, but, but it says that you have become estranged, you who attempt to be justified by the law. So nothing can literally separate me from Christ. Right? He is my savior, he is my, the anchor of my soul. There's so many amazing things that he is to me. But I can separate myself from Christ as I try to earn the very thing that is already mine. I can separate, I can remember it too. I can separate myself from Christ when I try to earn the very thing that I already am. And so you, if you go back here, um, what, is, what is striving, what is the, the fruit of striving, right? We know the, the fruit of a life with God is peace and joy and hope and just expectation and meaning. But the fruit of striving, right, a life full of eyes is that beginning of verse 24, wretched man that I am, right? I, I try my best to be my best. I pursue God, but then at the same time, I'm trying to be righteous enough so that he'll love me. And I'm trying to be, uh, I'm trying to spend enough time with him so that he'll actually want to talk to me. Like I have all these things I'm trying to do, but at the end of that, I feel absolutely useless. I feel uh, this, the walls and the clouds and everything very, very prevalent. And so I can attest to that feeling, wretched man that I am. So this is all how I got to, um, I began to realize these things. Um, Actually, let me phrase it a different way. The day that I began to see um, that there was something truly wrong with the way that I was perceiving life uh, was one day when I came up to pray with Saul. And so, you know, I trudge up here and the little man is ready to hug me with his super buff chest. Um, (laughs) And... And just as I'm about, like, I, you know, I crest the front aisle and I'm like, yes, no one's in line. And I'm like, you know, taken off. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit says, I don't want you to discount a single thing he says. I was like, huh, okay. And that's a weird thing to say. And, and I got up and, you know, I, he started praying. And obviously he's got this prophetic gift. And so as he starts to pray, he puts his hand on my chest. And he says, man, and the moment I put my hand on your chest, I saw, and he began to say, Amazing things uh, that were bigger than me and really were, um, and if the Holy Spirit hadn't say, don't discount it, I would have just shot holes in everything he had said. Um, and I realized that, you know, as I, I realized this with Saul, but then I realized, like, I do this with everyone all the time. Like, I go home and my wife, I've been working out, I know, and... Uh, <laughs> And so my wife goes, man, you look so good. And, I th- and what, what goes through my mind is, yeah, but you were 20 pounds lighter a long time ago, uh, so you can look better. And I, I do not take the compliment. I just, like, fig- like, I just push, push it off. Um, or I, I remember some, I gave some talk a long time ago 
And uh, are you guys still talking about my working out? Is that what's going on? I hear the... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I gave a talk and then uh, someone came up afterwards and they said, you know, whatever you, something you said really hit me and they explained it. And I remember thinking like, yeah, but that's, that's common sense. Like that, that's not great deep revelation. Um, and then I agreed with the lie that, um, you, you know, my gift of teaching and understanding the word is oversupplied in the church. Like, you know, the, Satan would say that reading the Bible is reading comprehension and so anybody should be able to do that. So what's your great value? Um, anybody can read. Um, and, and so I like, you know, I go, okay, and I just kind of ignore the compliment. Um, and, and the other, this, a couple weeks ago, I realized that we say the phrase, a lie and challenge becomes uh, truth. And I think, I have no idea where that's from, but um, God take it a, took it a step farther and said that a lie and challenge becomes truth, um, but a, a lie accepted defends itself. And I, and I didn't really... No. <laughs> um, a lie accepted, or sorry, uh, a lie unchallenged becomes truth, but a lie accepted defends itself. And if you think of lies as um, just an onslaught of negativity, as the opposite of truth, um, and its attempt to, it, the, the goal of lies is to separate you from the truth and to just surround you with so many walls that you're not living the life you were designed for. You think that um, if in the absence of all lies, uh, if, if, I ha if, um, if I thought to myself, I hate my job, I want to do something else, I prayed about it and I felt like God gave me the green light, uh, I'd quit my job and go follow whatever like, follow my heart, you know, very movie-like. But, um, but what happens with all these lies is you end up with so much fear. You end up with so much of this, no, I, I don't have the ability. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, you know, I need more of a savings. I, I, you know, I can't rely on God for these kinds of things. And you just, you live this smaller life. So you end up with lies create walls, but, um, but a lie accepted defends itself. You end up with Lies that are fortified um, within your life. And a fortified wall is, is something that actually defends itself. Picture, you know, Satan or the enemy comes in with this lie and he says something and it just builds this border uh, on your heart. Um, and then over time he adds to it and he gives you another flavor of it and he, he proves it with some Bible verse taken out of context and he proves it with some, just all sorts of little falsities, Right? And gradually the, the wall expands and it gets, you know, built into the ground and it gets higher up and it just becomes this monumental thing. But uh, I picture these, this level of lies as just like absolutely like a little fortress on top of the wall and it actually deflects oncoming truth. Um, I'm not a very visual person. I was telling Mandy, uh, if I was to do painting, like, it would be awful. Like I was, I was actually trying to think about what I would paint and uh, I realized that the, my absolute favorite drawing that I ever drew uh, was the evolution of the sick man. It was just like this little fish that became a fish with feet. That became like a fish with like hunched over and then just gradually became a dude that just like stood up. But it was all like stick figures. So you could do it like with a third grade. But I realized it would be like the worst drawing for a church group. <laughs> but, um, 
and this is all coming from the, my thought about, you know, just trying to build this visual picture of what uh, a fortified wall of lies looks like. Um, have, have you ever actually stopped to think about what uh, all of these lies, like where these lies come from and where these walls come from? Um, have you ever thought about how the enemy manages to oppress billions of people? I mean, what, six point something billion people? Uh, I mean, most people have this assumption that because of movies and whatnot that there's an angel and there's a demon and they, they're both feeding, you know, they're having conversations and you're just kind of in the middle of it all. Um, but there are actually a finite number of, of fallen angels, demons. Um, and biblical scholars, I'm not, uh, I don't, I haven't studied this, but I know that there is a consensus within the biblical community that the number of angels is not in the billions. It's, it's, I think it's either hundreds of thousands or millions. And I really, uh, I don't know exactly the number, but I do know that it is infinitesimally short of six billion. So how is it that a small number of demons manage to oppress billions of people? It's, I mean, these lies are not just the enemy sitting on your shoulder feeding them in. Um, and I believe that there's something in the believer's walk, and, and really, I've noticed in my walk uh, that Satan uses. He's, you know, he's well-practiced, right? The enemy has been playing this game of bondage long, long, long before your grandparents were born. So they, they really, they've seen all the people they understand the proclivities and they know you pretty well. Uh, and, and I believe that what they do in our lives, what the enemy likes is cyclicality. Um, so I'll give uh, pornography uh, as an example, um, just because it's such a ridiculously prevalent thing. Um, and, and I struggle with this in college. You... You, do, you take a look at something that you, you know you didn't want to look into, um, and you feel awful, and you know that um, what you looked at was a shameful thing, and, and you go to church, and you, you feel like, I can't, I can't worship, I can't uh, pray, I can't, I just, I'm just going to stay here for a little while, and, um, and you feel like, well, maybe if I just wait a little bit, like God will eventually... Um, cool down. And, and no, it, I, it sounds funny, but people do this on a regular basis. And, and so you, you have that cooling off period, which is actually separation um, from the voice and the, the peace and the joy that comes from an abiding relationship with God. And then you, and then you make some new, some new weak revolutions, right? Res, revelations? Res, resolutions. Man, New week resolutions. You're like, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to get myself a, a, a prayer buddy and I'm going to move my computer to the living room. And then, um, and then, but it's based on willpower. It's based on I. It's based on doing. It's based on striving. Um, I'm going to earn my righteousness. And then you get through the week and then you realize that you get a bad test in school and you want to numb it because you, it just feels terrible. And so you... The, the small high you get from looking at something, you do again. And then the next day, and, and this shame comes willpower, comes attempt, comes failure. And you just, it's almost like Satan gets, likes to get Christians into this like 
striving pattern and then they just kick you to the curb and they move on to the next person because they've seen what people do um, within striving. Striving leads to wretched man that I am and wretched man that I am leads to more wretchedness. There's, there's just, peace does not come from chaos. And besides cyclicality, the, the fortified walls I talked about, there are strongholds, right? There are these, these walls that are based on lies which are based on history of, of just belief. And then there are generational issues. And if you want to hear about that, listen to Brian Orm's talk. Uh, I've listened to it already once and it's cute on my phone again. It, it's because there are things in your family. I mean, uh, striving actually runs in my family. Um, I wasn't born as a five-year-old with this need to strive. Uh, I liked balls, like blue balls, so I could throw at things, and I liked rollerblades. I mean, I was the most uncomplicated kid, so where did all this come from? It, it came from my family lineage. So why are all these lies? And I, 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 I don't know if this is... Um, joined. I, I don't know if you're following, but I just wanted you to see uh, kind of how I was processing things and kind of the truths that came to me as I was going through it. And this seems to me to be like a complete jump, but it actually makes sense later. Um, I realized that all of these lies are lies that I have dealt with two years ago. And, and I remember thinking, man, like I'm so tired of refuting and going through the same things. Oh, woe is me. And I got really like annoyed um, that I was going through the same lies. And so I asked God, like, well, how do I get through these things? And, you know, Brian Orm, again, talked about renewing the mind, um, be transformed by the renewing of your man- mind, that Bible verse in Romans. Ha! 12-2. Eugene, Eugene, the Bible scholar. And I realized that I don't renew my mind, I renew my brain. Think about it. It's oddly deep. You... So what happens is you, let's, you, you, you find some lie um, and you think about the lie and you think, well, what's the opposite of the lie? And then you come up with the opposite of the lie and then you just try to embed it in your brain. Like if I think about it, med- let's give it a better term. Let's meditate on that opposite of a lie. Um, and, and gradually it falls out of your memory or uh, a feeling one day exhausts itself above your brain and the truth, the, the lies suddenly sound so much truer than the truth that your renewed brain has no effect on your change. I don't know what I said. <laughs> um, and really, it's, it's an attempt of you... Uh, your like flesh to try and work through some things. And uh, Galatians, again, that book written to a bunch of people struggling with religiousness, um, they, Paul is pretty funny. He usually starts his books with like a bunch of identity-based stuff and says, you are this, and you are this, and it's very like high and mighty and wonderful to read with zero commas. But he usually is pretty straightforward with the way that he speaks to them. So he's, he's writing to all these religious folks and he says, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit, you are now being perfected in the flesh? He literally says that. He's like, are you guys that dumb that you started in the spirit and now you're, being, you're perfecting yourself with your grand flesh? Like, and, and that was his like charge. But at the end of the book, um, 
He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, and this is what, Galatians, uh, sorry. This is a verse worth writing down. Hint. My book, Bible doesn't have Galatians. Galatians uh, 5.1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So I'll read it again. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not become entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So Paul is writing way back in the day, and he's saying that there is an ever-present threat of falling back into the very same bondage that you came from. Stand in Christ and don't be entangled again with bondage. And this is done by the renewing of the mind. This is done by a lot of the stuff that Brian Owen was talking about, a lot of the stuff we talk about Epic Life. But it's essentially, you need applied truth. It actually needs to be true to you. The truth cannot be an opposite of the lies because it's not going to register with your spirit. The truth has to be the absolute truth to you. I remember um, my wife has this wonderful, uh, I love the way that she interacts with God. It's not the way that I interact with God. Um, And sometimes I'm quite jealous. You know, she sees angels, which she saw one standing up there and a couple dancing in the front during worship. And I was like, man, I don't see any of this stuff. Like, there's a curtain. And they're those reoccurring pictures that uh, confuse me. And, and, and this is the kind of thing I see. But um, I remember talking to her, and we were talking about that dead to sin stuff. Um, and I was, I was having a very uh, well-placed argument where I was describing the biblical reason for why these things make sense. And she goes, no, I still don't get it. I was like, well, I just explained it. It was perfect. Um, <laughs> And she goes, I don't get it. And so one day we're, we're at Bethel and she's, you know, worshiping and she doesn't know the song. So instead of just reading the words and playing, uh, uh, instead of just reading the words and singing along, she just closes her eyes and begins to worship whatever's in her mind, right? And she's just going into it. And I look over and she's smiling and then I look back over again and she's like weeping and she's just flailing and losing it. Um, <laughs> And, and I, I asked her afterwards, you know, I asked her then, she just, <laughs> and just continued. And then I asked her afterwards, and I was like, well, what did you see? And she said um, that I was in heaven uh, in a vision with Jesus, and I was walking with Jesus, and I knew that I was on the way to see the, uh, God the Father. And I don't know why I knew that, but I knew that. And, and I knew that we were in heaven. And as I looked at him, he looked at me, and he said, um, look at your hands. And she looks at her hands, and her hands have the holes of uh, Christ's crucifixion on them. And then he says, everything that happened to me happened to you. And then suddenly she goes, well, I'm dead to sin. I'm like, I get it. It makes sense. You know, for me, to, to get dead to sin, I have to study it. I have to see how it happens from beginning to end. I need to understand to be able to explain it. Uh, but it's not how... That's not what changed her life, right? I could explain it all I want. She had to, God showed her in the way that she receives the truth. And it's now an absolute truth. It can't be taken. It can't be uh, rationed away. The enemy can say nothing against that truth because she saw Jesus and it was ridiculous. So (laughs) I say that to say um, that if you want to uh, root out a lot of these lies, 
and you want to do it the way that I do it or do the way that someone else does it, well, that's just a spirit of comparison. You're actually trying to fit into somebody else's mold and you are actually created intensely, uniquely. And um, if you want the truth to actually register, you have to ask God for the truth that you need and then listen and wait for it. Um, so, unrelated. Um, I've been coming to Epic Life, as Waterbury said, forever. Uh, it took me five years to get through college, and then I stayed here for another five years. Because this isn't a college group, it's a young adult group. Um, but how did I come here and go through all of this uh, in the midst of community? Um, how... And I would argue that I was intensely isolated despite the fact that I was absolutely surrounded. Because um, when you get lies in the crowd, it's rather constraining. It's kind of a downer. Um, but when you get lies in isolation, it's devastating. Like despair is absolutely at your doorstep when you are separated from all Christians, when you are separated from the brethren, and, and you're just trying to like fight off Satan by yourself. Um, and, and really, uh, I know this from a fact because I've been there, um, most of my Christian life, uh, like the f five years of college, which were really formative for me, I had zero Christian friends because I went to UC Santa Cruz and everybody was super crunchy and there were surfers or hippies. That was it. Um, but, and so I was, I, I would try to fight off, um, lies via introspection. Right, which is more, it's, it's actually a good term for um, renewing the brain. It's, it's just sitting there and, and just thinking about, like trying to like weasel your way back to the start point of all these lies. Um, introspection is an attempt at revelation and isolation. Um, it's useless. Introspection, I knew he was going to say that, that's why I paused. Introspection is an attempt at revelation in isolation. There's so many shun words in there. Say that one more time. No. Introspection is an attempt at revelation in isolation. Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then right before he peaced out, he said, you are the light of the world. Right? You are the light of the world. Well, if Satan, and this is my, this is my logical truth, um, Satan says, Satan plays in shadows. Darkness has no power in the light. So to work most effectively, he must separate us from the light. Right? That, that all logically follows. So his best plan, his best ploy is to separate you from Christ. The best way to do that is to get you back into striving because then you're trying to earn and there's a separation there. And then the, but the other thing that most Christians don't understand is that separation from believers is, is, is actually darkness in your life. And I know from a fact that it is entirely possible to be isolated in a crowd. People would ask me, how's your week going? And I go, well, I had a great golf game, and I did. Um, I would tell them about my project car, which is not running. 
I would tell them about my new job. Uh, I would tell them about my wife, who's wonderful. I would, I would give them all of the facts, and it would be, you know, funny stories and interesting things, and things, it was, it's the truth, right? They would ask me how I'm doing, and I would tell them that. And really, but I was isolated, and I was isolated by the things that I chose to share. Um, and and I, was, I was with a friend, and he said, how are you, Sean? And I began to say something about golf. No, and then I pulled it back and was like, no. And I just said, I feel awful. I feel surrounded by lies. I feel a fog over everything I do. I'm surrounded by walls, and I don't know what lies true and what truth is true. And, and I began to tell him about uh, the lie I felt at work, about how uh, I live like God doesn't exist. And I began to tell him a lie about this, and I told him a lie about that. And, uh, and he just, you know, loved on me and said, no, those things aren't true. God loves you. You're great. Uh, and he just began to cast light over all of those lies. And that didn't change my life, but it helped. Um, it, 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 it's what began, it's, what I, it's how I began to realize that I was so isolated despite the fact that I was being so surrounded. Um, it's really the, the power of the men's Bible study, right? We, we, it's at my house, and there's some amazing guys that come. And for the most part, we do almost no Bible study. Um, we'll start reading about something, and then we'll go, well, what did you think about that? And then people will say, well, man, this relates to this thing I'm going on in my life. It relates to this lie that I've believed for so long, but it's not actually true. And we begin to speak light into all of the lies and all of the things in our lives. And we get to the end of the Bible study and we know like a little bit more about the Bible, but our lives are full of light. And, and we have broken the isolation because we've gotten together and we've shared the truth. And so there are lots of people who come to church and they say, well, man, I went to that church and no one said anything to me. And so after four weeks, I like gave them their chance to have me. So I decided I would leave because those people are terrible. But really, um, what they share is like inch deep, right? They, someone goes, hey, man, how are you? I'm so glad you're here. How, how'd you find Epic Life? And you begin to ask questions and talk and hang out. And then you're like, so how was your week? And they go, I was good. Like, that's it? All right, cool. Like, that's as deep as you want to go. And, and really, uh, you've got to want not isolation because it takes... Uh, it takes strength to share like the raw truths. Um, but I guarantee you that Epic Life is full of people who are not going to, oh man, have you ever heard about Leonard? He's struggling with blah, 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 blah. Instead, people surround you and they love on you and they speak light all over your darkness. Amen. Yeah, they do. I, I can give you time after time after time where my life has been changed by this community. I was previously engaged, and a month before the wedding, she moved to Australia. And it sucked. And I had Roman, and I had Waterbury, and I had Knopf, who were like, come on, let's bear hug. And, and gradually, like, they got me back to like, all right, let's date, Mandy's here. And, and it, but if, if I had just kind of like, I can, if I had curled in and 
introspection, man, what, like, what didn't you like about me? How can I fix myself? And, uh, and just like if I had curled inward, I would not be who I am today. Um, and I began to do that, and then my buddies had a, a man intervention, a mentervention. <laughs> right? We were all on the bed. I was crying. And they said, you're being a girl. Stop playing the, uh, what is it, the pity card and man up. There were many things in your life that weren't right. Here's a few of them, but, and you guys would not have been a good marriage together. And I'm like, wow, it sounds like truth. It hurts, but it changed my life, and it was because I was in community. And, um, and, and I'm going to give you one other area of, of attack that I've received and kind of what I, the last thing, which is... Um, you, we come to Epic Life and we have these amazing speakers, right? Brian Orm, like, blew my mind. I, I literally, my mind blew out of the side of my ear and I was just, like, carrying it home. <laughs> and I went and listened to it at home and then it did it again. And then the next week, Knopf comes and absolutely blows open the story of Job and God's heart for us in the midst of all of the crap we go through. And, and, I, and every time, and then I have, I have all these spiritual heroes, right? I follow people on Facebook who are amazing. And I have this, this guy called the heavenly man whose life is like Jesus minus one, like ridiculous. And I have all of these people that I like compare myself to. Um, and so, but the biggest thing is whenever I hear these words or I read a chapter that's pretty ridiculous. I read Spirit Wars chapter six, loving yourself. Read it. I read it and, uh, and the, the enemy goes, you can't write like this. And I've had all these prophecies about me writing and speaking. And you can't write like this. I mean, there are so many amazing men of God who write so many amazing things. How are you going to add to this breadth of knowledge? You, you're not really necessary. It's already been done. And then I go to Epic Life and Knopf stands up and gives this amazing word. And, and God says, like, how are you going? Like, nothing you can say, nothing you've gone through is as... Uh, as peaceful and as good as what he just said. And, um, and I realized this week that, it's, you know, these aren't all like, six years ago I went through this revelation and this is now my breakthrough. These are like things I'm ongoing through. And so last week, God told me what he attacks most persistently is your greatest strength. And I know other people have said that in other forms. Um, but... If every time I read a book and every time I hear a sermon and every time I listen to some great revelation, Satan immediately attacks that, it's probably a pretty good indication that that's one of my strengths. And it, it takes some audacity to think that um, because it means that you have to stand up to a lie that you hear on a daily basis. What he attacks most persistently is, is probably a, your greatest strength. When he tempted Jesus, remember the, the three times we know of, uh, Satan spoke to Jesus in the desert. The first thing he said, if you are the son of God, right? He immediately attacks Christ's identity. That's like the, the greatest thing he had going from, for him. You know, regardless of what's happening, like, I'm the son of God. That's just, I win. <laughs> and then the second, and so Jesus responds, and then Satan responds again, well, if you're the son of God. He just completely ignored what Christ said and continued along that same line of reasoning. And so in my life, 
It's the same thing. Satan, I'm doing something and Satan attacks my identity in this very specific area. And then I refute it and I move on. And then a week later, he just attacks the same place again, this place of strength. So are there areas in your life that you, or scenarios that you consistently play out? I mean, when you're listening to people's testimonies, um, what I usually do is, or I sometimes do, is I think, well, I didn't go through that. That's not me. And I just discount it and move on. But actually, um, ask the Holy Spirit this week, like, what are lies, walls, fortified walls? Where, where are these things in my life? Because the, you ask for breakthrough, you get breakthrough. It's really a cool thing. Um, and just before Waterbury comes up, I want to tell you how, uh, how this all happened in my life. Um, is, is as my friend said, uh, how are you, man? How are you, how, are you, how are you, Sean? And I told him all these lies. He said, well, those are a lot of lies. Why don't you write them all down and email them to me and email them to your wife? I was like, oh, I like homework. Cool. And I, and I went home, and I, I, this is my list, and I have more. Um, but I wrote them all down, and it's almost as you begin to write them all down, you begin to realize, like, how ridiculous they sound. And then when you send them to someone who actually cares about your life, uh, they're not going to go, oh, man, that's cool. And then just the next time they see you, they're going to talk about the weather. Like, they'll go, man, I, I saw some of those lies. Like, how are you doing? What? What revelations are you having that are counteracting the lies, those lies? Are you, do you want to talk about it? Do you want to pray about it? Do you want me to pray for you? How can I help you work through these lies? Yeah. And then at the end of this list of lies, I wrote down, I have allowed the following spirits free reign in harassing me. And I wrote down all these spirits. Shame, religious spirit, spirit of comparison, spirit of deception, spirit of depression, spirit of fear. It goes on. And then as I finished this, God said, okay, now write out something true. He said, I'll, let you, I'll start you out. And he said, I am a pillar at Epic Life. I was like, okay, and I wrote that down. And then I began to write my identity. But I wrote it with the Holy Spirit, right? I didn't write, I am five foot ten. Like, I, I wrote things of value. And, and these are things that uh, I feel almost sheepish saying because it seems very high and mighty and very proud of myself. But actually, it takes a lot of strength for me to actually try and believe these things because I've allowed lies into my life for so long. I'm a forerunner in my family. My, uh, the things, the revelations that I'm having and the way that I'm dealing with them and the way that I'm breaking them off uh, finally um, are breaking things open in my family. My little brother, the stud who sings and is huge, um, he's not having to deal with a lot of the things that I've dealt with. I mean, his, the amount of time he spent struggling with pornography was like one-tenth what I went through. And it was because I knew what to say and I, I knew how to pray with him and I knew what stuff brings life and what stuff brings death. There are revelations my father is having um, and there are, there are things happening in my brother who's not a Christian that are happening because of the life that I'm living now. So I'm a, a forerunner in my family. I am a husband. I am influential. And Satan and his demons know this, and that's why they're actively looking to attack my freedom. That is why the yoke of bondage is ever knocking at my door. And I wrote out more and more and more and more. You'd be surprised if you ask the Holy Spirit, what lies am I believing? How much you will write. The Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. 
That's, it says it in the Bible, I believe it. And, and we're not looking for the pie in the sky weird truths. We want truths that actually change our lives. He wants that too. So, um, I don't know how to end it other than the fact that God is good. Huh? Do you mind reading the lies? That... Sure. I asked him, I actually, he allowed me to read this email at one point, and it made me cry because the lies were such absolute lies. And I asked him if he would mind reading them because what he's given you today, tonight, is breadcrumbs. If you want breakthrough, go back and listen to what he said because there's so much profound stuff there. But listen to the lies because they're going to sound really familiar to you. I didn't read it because uh, I may have believed a minor lie in that... uh, the lies I deal with are not lies other people deal with, which is in itself a lie. Um, so God is unhappy, even angry, when I do not spend time with him. His love and grace is human, meaning I have a knack for finding the end of it. Only closet quiet time with the Bible and prayer mat counts. Anointing is earned and mine is irreparably gone. My interests are idolatry and I should feel bad for having them, or at least, the very least, for enjoying them. Shame is a natural occurrence in flawed people. That I am not influential, I am not important, I am not a leader, I don't have anything to offer my family or my community, that my time of growth and fruit is over, and that my wife is the best part of our marriage. It's difficult. Um, That spiritual gift, that my spiritual gift isn't needed or is oversupplied in the body. That I'm just a bad Christian. That there is a point of arrival here on earth and if I could jump through enough hoops and work hard enough, I would find peace and rest. The lie that there is rest is found, or sorry, the lie that rest is found anywhere but in Christ's loving presence. Um, that only if I sold everything I had could I truly live 100% for Christ. That I deserve my shame. And these things sound uh, almost made up, the, the level of uh, oppression within them. And I guarantee you that Satan did not, the, the enemy did not begin with these lies. He began with small lies. And then he built on those lies, bigger lies. And he made the walls fortified walls to the point where you have these. And I would argue that, um, you know, Brian, I'm talking about opening doors. I would argue that the worst door you could open is to believe a lie. <laughs> 